Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we will read again from Exodus 25, verse 1 through 8. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. In the word of the Lord. Praise God. Give you a moment to get that. Does everybody have that? Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. This is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram's skins dyed red and badger skins, and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, that is his desire, to dwell among us, amen, in verse 22 of the same chapter, and there I will meet with thee. Amen. Meet with thee. He wants to meet with you today. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment. Say, in commandment unto the children of Israel. Let's again pray for the word. Lord, we just thank you for the word, God, that we've read today. And we ask, Lord Jesus, your blessing to be upon this lesson today. Help us to understand the awesomeness that is in your word, God. You're just so great and greatly to be praised. And I just thank you for your presence that we felt here today, Lord God. Thank you for filling us with your spirit, Lord God, that we might become the habitation of God through the spirit. Lord, we just praise you, God, for the tabernacle, Lord Jesus, that teaches us and shows us the things that were to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. All right. Let's back up just a little bit in the book of Exodus. We have proceeded up to this point right here where Israel has come out of Egyptian bondage. Amen. And God is going to do miracles among them on the way to the promised land. And if you'd look, please, in Exodus chapter uh, 14 and verse 21, we will see that God is going to make a way for them where there is no way. He's going to part the Red Sea so that they can go on towards the promised land. All right, verse 21. Okay, we're going to look at some things leading up to their actually building the tabernacle, also receiving the, uh, the plan for the tabernacle at Mount Sinai. But verse 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked up unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians. 
took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 28. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon uh, the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed uh, the Lord and his servant Moses. What an awesome miracle this is. We talked about how that if Pharaoh tried to stop Israel from going to build this place called the tabernacle, that it was going to bring trouble upon them. And this is what happened. They tried to stop them from meeting with God. And God just took care of them, wiped them out. In the Old Testament, though, what I just read to you is the standard miracle of the Old Testament. When the prophets would preach to Israel and they would want to encourage Israel uh, or strengthen Israel, get them to focus on God again, they would always preach to them about the Red Sea and how God parted the Red Sea and made a way where there was no way. And in doing so, the people would be encouraged. In the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the standard miracle. And I get strength from that, and I get victory from that, and I get power from that. Almost two million people have come out of Egypt and made this crossing through the Red Sea. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, think about not only God bringing them out of Egypt and delivering them and then taking them through the Red Sea, but think about the provision it would take to feed this amount of people. So I want to give you some statistics. I want to show you that God can take care of us. Amen? So let's go to Psalm, and we'll look at something. Psalm 105 in the Psalms. When God brought them out, He didn't just bring them out to see them die in the wilderness. He brought them out to take care of them. He saved them, delivered them, set them on their journey to go to the promised land. And if you'll look, please, at Psalm 105, please, in verse beginning with verse 37. It says, He brought them forth also with silver and gold. How did they leave Egypt? With great substance. They came out with great substance. Now, why did they go into Egypt to begin with? It was part of God's plan and purpose so they would have the materials to build the tabernacle with. So he put them, he started out with 75 people in Egypt. They've grown up to 2 million, possibly up to 6 million people there in Egypt. And they've been there for a few hundred years and God brings them out with great substance, gold and silver and all kinds of things that they're going to need to build that tabernacle right there. Amen. It's all in God's plan, all in His divine purpose. Brings them out, brings them through the Red Sea, wipes out Pharaoh and the enemies of Israel, drowns them in the Red Sea and on the, the, the way they go. But that's not all God's got to do for them. He's got to feed them. He's got to give them water. Got to take care of them in the wilderness. They can't go to Walmart. They can't go to Kmart. They can't go to the mall to buy clothes and buy food and buy water. 
So that means it's going to have to be a supernatural provision from God. And God provided for them supernaturally. And He'll take care of us. So let me read uh, Psalm 105 and verse 36. He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. Talking about the Egyptians. He brought them forth also, again, with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. When they came out, it didn't matter how old they were. Every one of them had strength. They were not sick. God healed them supernaturally. When they left Egypt, they walked out and not one person among them was feeble. Every one of them was strong. Every one of them was healed in their bodies. Then he tells us, he says, He brought them forth also with silver and gold. There was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. They tried to keep them back from going out into the wilderness to meet with God. But when, it, when God finally got through, Egypt was glad. I'm glad Israel's out of this place. I mean, we've experienced one judgment after another judgment because Pharaoh tried to keep them in the land. But God is bigger than Pharaoh. He delivered them. He got them out of this place. And listen, the Egyptians were rejoicing when Israel left because you don't mess with God. And you don't mess with God's people either. And when God wants to meet with you, He'll take care of any obstacle, any problem, any demon power to get with you, to hug you, to love you, and to have a relationship, and to rendezvous, rendezvous with you, and to reunite with you. God will do anything possible to get that relationship. And then once He gets that relationship, I guarantee He's going to take care of you. So even the Egyptians were excited when they left. I mean, I would have been too. Judgment started falling on my house because somebody was in my house. And I say, hey, go ahead and leave. Amen. And look at verse 39. He spread a cloud for a covering. This is the Shekinah glory of God. When you say Shekinah, that's Hebrew. Shekinah means the radiance of God. It means the residence of God. And when they walked out, they could see the residence of God. They could see the radiating, flashing glory of God Almighty Himself when they walked out. And God led them out of Egypt. And they looked up and they saw their King. They saw their God. They saw the glory of God. And God led them in by the day a cloud and by a pillar of fire by night. Keep that in mind. Woo, hallelujah. Bible says this. Uh, fire to give light in the nine. Verse 40. The people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Say the bread of heaven. I mean, he rained down manna and fed them. Sent quails when they got tired of the, the manna. They shouldn't have got tired of the manna. Do you know the manna was only temporary? They shouldn't have gotten tired of the manna. God's taking them somewhere. But he fed them with manna, bread from heaven. The Bible says, from the kitchen of angels. He fed them with angels' food. This is true angels' food right here. Come on. He fed them with angels' food and they complained about it. Sounds like us. God feeds us with angels' food and we, we complain about it. He feeds us with the bread of heaven, the word of the living God. We sit around and moan and groan, oh God. He opened the rock and the waters gushed out. Say they gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river. Amen. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Now we've talked about this. We've been really dealing with this covenant with Abraham. He brought forth his people with what? With joy. I mean he was excited. 
When he brought them out, boy, he, God got excited. They got excited, but God got excited also. Yeah, you act like you're real excited too. Bible says he's chosen with gladness. Bible says let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Did y'all come into church that way today? He gave them lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe the statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. So he took care of all their needs, the Bible tells me in those uh, few short verses there. Let me give you some statistics. If you had two million people walking out into a wilderness and one person had one pound of food per day, you know how much food it would take to feed two million people? 900 tons. God just rained it down from the heavens and said, go pick it up. 900 tons. It'd take two, train for, two trains to carry all that food into the wilderness. But God said, I'm this, uh, the almighty train. I'll just deliver. Hallelujah. I'll just pour it out before you. Then you got to cook all that food. Amen. So you got to have firewood. Where are you going to find firewood out in the middle of a desert? Well, listen, I don't know where they got it, but God supplied it. He took care of them. And let me give you this, this, uh, this amount right here. 2,400 tons of firewood would be what it would take to cook all that food but they had everything they needed let me tell you a little bit about water if you gave one gallon per person per day it would take 12 wells that pump 6,000 gallons of water an hour which means 72,000 gallons of water a day it would take 29 of those wells pumping 72,000 gallons of water per day, 29 of them, to give enough water to take care of 2 million people. And if you took care of the animals and gave them water, it'd take you 100 wells pumping 72,000 gallons of water per day to take care of the human beings and the animals. But the Bible said the waters gushed out of the rock and God took care of them. And the waters flowed like a river. It was better than an artesian well. And they went and drank to their full. Now to give you some idea how, how large a group this is. I mean, two million people, right? Yeah, well, we can say it real quick. But if you back up with me, you'll see in Exodus 13, verse 18, it says, But God led the people about through the ways of the wilderness, of the what? The Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed. Say harnessed. That means orderly ranks. And some margins in the Bible, they have it ranks of five. And they walked out of Egypt in ranks of five. Now the Bible says they were harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So look, if they marched out of the land in ranks of five, then you would have a line of people for 230 miles almost from Odessa Texas to El Paso would be how long the line is of the people five abreast marching through the wilderness God is awesome and when this group of people camped out you would have had a camp square about 60 miles by 8 miles and that would give you how many total square miles? 480 square miles. It wasn't a little bitty old camp, friend. It was a large camp. 
and God took care of their food. God took care of their firewood. God took care of their water. God took care of their shoes. The Bible says their shoes never wore out upon their feet. They walked through the wilderness and their shoes never wore out. God's an awesome God. So if He can take care of them, He can take care of me. I just got to put my faith in God and my confidence in God. That's a big group of people, man. And if they eat like y'all, it would have taken God a lot more. Let me me rephrase that. If they eat like me... (laughs) All right, so what's God doing? Well, we just keep on following through the book of Exodus. I mean, we haven't even got to the tabernacle yet, really. But I've got to give you this background. Okay, keep in the book of Exodus, we're just going to look at some events that lead up to them getting to Mount Sinai, where the tabernacle plan is given. Everybody with me up to this point? How many of y'all know God's a big God? He's an awesome, awesome God. Okay, they cross the Red Sea, amen, the 14th chapter. The 15th chapter, they start singing. Miriam, where do you get all this dancing at, preacher? Well, it's all the way in the Old Testament and the New Testament also. Miriam, woman named Miriam, the sister of Moses, got her tambourine out after the Pharaoh and his armies were drowned in the sea. You know what they did? They danced. She got her tambourine out and started playing it. Come on, ladies, some of you ladies need to be like Miriam. She got her tambourine out. You know what? It says she danced. Literally, you know what that means? She jumped up, spun around, shaking that tambourine. And all the rest of the women of Israel started dancing and singing the song of triumph. The song of Moses here. That God had triumphed gloriously over the horse and the rider. Pharaoh's a type of the devil. He's also a type of the Antichrist. And I'm here to tell you that God's going to defeat every one of them. So you might as well just get your tambourines out and do a little dance and do a little spin around. And that's the and there's a lot in the 15th chapter, but let's keep on going. Get to the 16th chapter, the wilderness of sin. Say the wilderness of sin. Come on, God's taking care of them there. Amen. The wilderness of sin. Sin's quail, sin's manna, etc. 17th chapter. We have this water supply I just talked to you about. When God smites the rock, who's Jesus Christ, and the waters come gushing out. I preached that to you Wednesday, so I'm not going to preach it to you today. But God took, of them, took care of them. Verse 8 tells us, Amalek came up, the grandson of Esau, and tried to stop them from entering into the land. But you don't stop what God's trying to do. You don't stop somebody from getting to God. So God said, all right, we're just going to send out General Joshua. And Joshua's just going to defeat all of them. Come on. And Moses will just stand there with his hands lifted up. And as long as his hands are lifted up, God's going to send the victory. And God sent the victory and defeated the grandson of Esau. And on their way they go. There's a lot in that. Amen? Chapter 18. We have uh, Jethro visiting with Moses. And we have appointments of judges, etc. Now we go to the 19th chapter. And this is where I want to spend a little time today. Then you go to Sinai. In uh, verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim. And we're come to the desert of Sinai. Now, if you would please, everybody get your Bible out. Because I need you to follow me in these things today. 
so you'll understand the giving of the tabernacle, the giving of the law. It tells us verse 2, For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. Now look at this. This would be what you would have saw, seen if you saw the campment of Israel. I mean, this is huge. This is close to 500 miles square. Amen? Now they don't have the tabernacle yet. You with me? But they do have the glory cloud. All right. Let's keep reading. I'm going to be real nice. Verse 3. The Bible says, And Moses went up. Say, Moses went up. When you're moving towards God, you're always moving up. I know people say, Boy, I, gotta, I have to go to church this morning. Wake up. Whenever you start moving towards God, you're always going up, man. Well, I have to live for God. You poor thing, you. You started living for God and you started going down. No, when you started living for God, you started going up. So God says, Moses, come on up here. I want to meet with you. So Moses went up. Say, the first time. I see him going up. This is the first time I see you go up. All right? Bible says, The Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. You didn't think I could get you out of Egypt, but I got you out of Egypt, and I got you out uh, on the backs of eagles' wings. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you exactly how long they were there in Egypt. You know, the Bible says, doesn't it say like 400 years they were in bondage? Well, when did that begin? You just study it. From Abraham, probably when he went down to Egypt in unbelief the first time, that's probably when it started, not when uh, they went up to Egypt at, as the 70. You with me? So I can't tell you they were a, a total of 100 or 400 years in bondage. So anyway, let's just say a few hundred years they were in bondage, all right? Now all you scholars, go get your study materials out and study that. Okay? So anyway, they were in there for at least a, probably 150, 200 years. I don't know for sure exactly how, how many years, but they were there. And they were in Egypt, and they were surrounded by idol gods. And they could not worship the living God. They could not come in contact with Him. You with me? They were slaves in a foreign land. Ooh. Being influenced by idol gods. Not feeling the presence of God and not worshiping the presence of God. But God says, I brought you out of Egypt on the wings of eagles. Which means this, that when God got ready to do something, He did it fast. Now here's the problem. A lot of times people want it to happen overnight. And if it doesn't happen overnight, they lose faith in God. And you know what? We are surrounded by false gods. And we are influenced by false gods. But there's the one God of the Bible that if I'll just wait on Him, I don't know the timing when He's going to move. But I'm telling you, when He gets ready to move, watch out. He's going to bear you on eagle's wings. He's going to take you out of Egypt. And He's going to take you to the promised land. But you've got to trust Him. 
But sometimes he'll let you stay right there in that situation and being influenced by demonic powers, being influenced by false gods in a place where you can't worship him and come in contact with him, where you can't meet with him. But then he says, when I get ready to meet with them, I'm going to do a work and it's going to be like they're sitting on the back of eagle's wings. Hallelujah. Verse 5. Chapter 19. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Amen? What's God doing here? He's offering them a covenant. He's saying, hey, y'all want to be in covenant with me? That's awesome. You shall be unto me a kingdom. Are y'all reading your Bible with me? Okay. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. All right. God wants to enter into covenant with you, Israel. I'm going to tell you today. God wants to enter into a covenant with you. Are you willing? There's a lot of people that aren't willing. And God's not going to make you live for him. And God's not going to make you enter into a covenant with him. But he will propose it. And he will ask you, would you like to be in covenant with me? And all you got to do is agree to it and go into it. But you don't have to. God will let you sit right where you are and have no relationship with him. But he wants you to meet with him. He wants you to be in covenant. So say proposes the covenant. So what do we have? We have Moses going up. God tells him to propose a covenant. Then Moses goes back down, right? Common sense. Presents the offer to the people. Okay, let's keep reading. And verse 8, what do the people say? And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We want to be in covenant with this God. And we agree to this, this proposal from God. Hallelujah. Did you choose God or did God choose you? God chose you, you just agreed to it's all. All right. Now the Bible says Moses returned the words of the Lord, words of the people unto the Lord. So that means he goes back up into the mountain second time, and he says, "God, they're willing to enter in this covenant with you that you proposed with me." All right. Then the Lord says this. All right. The Lord said unto Moses, "Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever." And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said, say the Lord said, unto Moses, go unto thy people and sanctify them today. Set them apart. And tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. All right? I've proposed the covenant. You've agreed to enter into the covenant. Now get ready. Cleanse yourself, wash your clothes. I'm a holy God. Be purified from your sin. Be ready because I'm fixing to meet with you. Sanctify yourself. Okay, keep reading. Verse 14. Moses went down from the mountain of the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. Hallelujah. So they're getting ready to meet God. In verse 15, he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at, at your wives and in and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was were thunders, say thunders, 
and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. He brought him to a burning mountain. See, we already shared with you that, he, that Moses had experienced the burning bush. But now they experienced a burning mountain. He is what? The exceeding greatness of his power. You think he was awesome last week. When you meet him the next time, he's going to be greater than the last time you saw him. Moses, you met me in a burning bush. The next time you see me, it's going to be a burning mountain because I am exceedingly great in my power. And I mean, they're, they're afraid. Boy, they see lightning and they, they, the mountains on fire and thundering and this trumpet is sounding. Praise the Lord. Okay, y'all still with me on this? Verse 17. Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with who? To meet with God. That's what it's all about. It's a meeting place. To meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And, the, and Mount Sinai was all together on smoke because the Lord descended upon it in what? Fire. Say fire. How many of y'all got fire in you this morning? Yeah, I believe some of you do. Bible said the smoke therefore ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly because God is there. Look at verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up. Third time he goes up. That I've counted so far, third time he goes up. Come on up here, Moses. Hallelujah. Right? And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish, because a lot of them are not ready. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. He killed them too. Preachers better get ready too. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the Mount, and sanctify it. The Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. Now what's going on here? God's called them out to meet with him in the wilderness, and now he's set boundaries here at the mountain, and they can't go up. Why? Because God is holy, and they're sinful. Okay? You with me? Alright, so what's Moses going to do now? He's going to come down after being on the mountain the third time in verse 25. So Moses went down to the people and spake unto them. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what does he do? He comes down out of the mountain here. The covenant has been proposed. The people have agreed to enter into that covenant. They have sanctified themselves to prepare themselves for that covenant. Now Moses brings down the law orally. He's going to tell them orally. There's no written commandments that God hasn't given him the tables of stone yet. He's going to speak to them the law of God orally. Say orally. Okay, what does he say? He gives them the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Look at this. Moses is telling them the moral law of God before he ever gets the tables of stone. 
Before they're ever written in stone, he speaks to them orally. Are you here? Okay. He gives them all these commandments. Now go, uh, if you would please, to verse 18. After he gives them these Ten Commandments, this moral law of God, all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Get that? They said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. So what I'm trying to show you is that when God gave them the moral law, already the moral law, when they saw the moral law, instead of getting close to God, you can't be saved through the law. Because by the law shall no flesh be justified. The law condemns you. The law condemns me. And when the moral law was given to the people from God to Moses and Moses spoke it to them, they said, our God is so holy and we're so sinful that we can't meet with Him because we see His holiness and we see our sinfulness. So the Bible says they stood afar off. You're not justified by the works of the law. You're justified by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. So already they recognize their need for the place. They recognize their need for a reconciliation to take place between them and God. Do you understand that? They didn't, they didn't just, a lot of people have this idea they can pick up the law and by their own good self-effort produce salvation. Listen, if you never kill anybody, if you're not born again, you'll still be lost. If you never commit adultery and uh, you don't, you're not born again, you're still lost. You've got to be born again. Doesn't matter how good you are, you've got to be born again. You may never steal, but that's not going to save you, friend. You've got to be born again. You've got to have a sacrifice. Now look, the law was given, but they couldn't keep it. You see that? They couldn't keep it because they were sinful and God is holy. Original man could have kept it. Adam in the garden before he fell could have kept it. But since Adam fell in the garden, he could not keep it because he, they're now sinful. Are you here? They're not Adam in the original state. So they can't. And they see this holy God. And so they stand afar off. And they say, Moses, speak to God for us. We don't want to talk to God uh, ourselves. We've got to have a mediator. Somebody to stand between us. We've got to have a sacrifice uh, in order to come into His presence. Uh, we can't do it. Uh, so the law shows you the awesome holiness and perfection of God. And by the law shall nobody, no flesh, be justified. That's the first term of this covenant. The moral law of God. The second term of the covenant is the next verse. Alright? Well, we keep reading. I'll read it to you. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. God's coming here to show you your need. God's coming here to put you to a test here. So you don't sin so easily. So you can get an, a glimpse of how awesome He is and how holy He is and what He requires. Amen? Keep reading. People stood afar off. Already they're standing afar off. The law is going to save you. And the people who originally received the oral law had to stand afar off from God. It didn't reconcile them and bring them back to God. It condemned them. Second great term of the law is going to be given though. 
I'm telling you, before he ever went up and got the tables of stone, this was given. And the scripture tells us this in verse 20. The Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. You're going to worship me and me alone. How many gods is there? There's only one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you're only going to worship me and me alone. No other false gods are you going to worship. The gods of gold, the gods of silver, you're going to worship the living God. Do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to get them to understand worship and approaching holiness. He is holy. He doesn't do holy. He is holy. He doesn't just not lie. He cannot lie. He, do, he not only does not sin, he cannot sin. And you're going to worship me. Can I tell you something? Worship, we love the atmosphere of worship, don't we? Oh, and I know we, we created atmosphere, right? When we worship. Because God starts moving in that place, in that house. Well, see, God made us to worship him. He wants you to be a priest, every one of you. He wants me to be a priest. When we come in here, He wants us to offer up spiritual sacrifices of praise and songs and clapping your hands. And some people, they wait to, to come to church until the Word's about to go forth. They've missed their duty and their obligation to God. God called you to worship. God called you to come here and give Him thanks. God called you to come in here and love Him. God called you to come in here and appreciate Him. God called you to come in here and lift up your hands so you people... Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. God told you to be a praiser. He didn't cause you to come and sit on a pew and do nothing. He came in, He called you into this church house today to be a worshiper. And to be a worshiper doesn't mean, well, just so I can feel good. See, we got a false understanding about worship. It's not so I can feel good. I do feel good when I worship. But it's not so I can feel good that I worship. Well, well, Pastor, I just don't feel good right now. Well, your worship is not so you can feel good anyway. You're going to feel good. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the purpose of the worship. Oh, we're going to create an atmosphere. Well, yeah, we will. The atmosphere is going to be there when you worship God. He inhabits the praises of His people. I didn't say He inhabits the sitting of His people. He inhabits the praises of His people. He inhabits the shout and the singing and the worship. Not the sitting of the people, but the shouting of the people. Well, well Pastor, I just don't feel God. Well, I wonder why you don't, honey. I just can't get full of the Holy Ghost like you can. I wonder why you can't. Because you came to sit instead of worshiping. And God told you to be a worshiper. I'm never going to sit on my pew. I'm never going to sit in my chair. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. But, you know, I understand if you can't worship God, I understand why you can't worship God. Because dead people can't worship. The 
writer of the psalm says, the dead don't praise Him. So if you're not worshiping today, I know why you're not worshiping, because you're dead. But if you're alive unto God, you got some praise in your lips. you got some thanksgiving in your hearts. But even the psalmist said the dead don't praise Him. So if you can't praise Him, I know who you are. Oh, and I'm some of y'all say, well, I'm offended, Pastor. I don't care. Get, get a hold of this, man. God calls you to be a worshiper. Not so much to, so you could feel good. And not so much to create an atmosphere. But it was to worship to give Him pleasure. Our worship is to give Him pleasure. So he's already shown him, you got to be clean when you come. To be a true worshiper, you got to be clean. To be a true worshiper, you got to worship me in spirit and in truth. For my pleasure. Not your pleasure. You understand that? Now we enjoy it, don't we? Okay, let's, let's keep reading here. Thank you, Jesus. Whew, verse 24. Second great term of this law. An altar of earth. Thou shalt make unto me. Say an altar. Oh my, isn't this beautiful? If you rightly understand what's going on here, you can go in the New Testament and you'll understand what Galatians is all about. You'll understand what Romans is all about. You'll understand what Hebrews is all about. God is trying to show you that the law condemns you. Moses brought two things with him. He brought the law that condemned him and the tabernacle that reconciled him. And already when the moral law is given, they stand afar off, not close to Him, dwelling with Him. They're at a distance from God. God's trying to show you the law condemns you, but I've got an altar that'll reconcile you. The second great term of the law is the altar. Let's keep reading. Thou shalt make with me... Okay, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, verse 24, and shalt sacrifice thereon. Say, Sacrifice. Amen? Come on. Isn't God good? You can sacrifice without obedience. But you cannot obey without sacrifice. Amen? You're going to sacrifice and let me burn offerings. And what else? Look there at the Bible. Peace offerings. Oh, Hallelujah. So you could come into my presence. I'm going to give you burnt offerings. That's sin offerings. And I'm also going to give you the ability to offer thank offerings unto me. Hallelujah. So you stood afar off when you saw my holiness and you saw my moral law. Now I'm going to reconcile you by the second great term of the law, which is the altar of sacrifice. And you're going to be able to offer sin offerings and thank offerings unto me on that altar. And in that second great term of the law, the whole book of Leviticus is developed and established. The priesthood, uh, the tabernacle, all the things that go on with their worship and their approach to God is developed from that term right there. You with me? Look what God says. Thy sheep, thine oxen, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee. I will bless thee. Oh, you can come into my presence being a sinner because you've got the sin taken care of by the offering. 
And I can come in your presence now and look at you and fellowship with you because I can. I love you. I want to hug you. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't. I want to reunite with you. I want to rendezvous with you. But there's a problem. It's called sin. But you get the sin taken care of, then you and I can love each other. Then you and I can mate with one another. Then you and I can rendezvous together, and we can dwell together and commune together. But you got to take care of the sin. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. See, these people are kind of like some people I've been hearing lately. I don't want to go to church because I'm a hypocrite. Well, what you've just seen is the glory of God and His awesome holiness and perfection. Well, if you don't go to church, you've sinned a greater sin. You're saying, I don't believe in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stay in my house because I don't believe in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. You know what? You crucify the Son of God afresh and you're going to die in your sin and go to hell. You've committed the greater sin by not coming to church because you thought you were a hypocrite. It's better to come to church as a hypocrite repenting your sins and get right with God than to stay home and be a hypocrite. I'd rather come to church and God put on the light upon my life and show all my hypocrisy and show me all my sin and deal with me. Let the light come on. The Bible said, he that doeth the truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be manifest. But then it talks about those who when the light's on, you know what a lot of them do? Oh, i got to get away from that light. They're going to be condemned with the world, the Bible says. So when the light comes on, you better say, oh, I want to be a doer of the truth. I don't want to be a hypocrite. You read John 3. John 3 has a prescription for you when you feel like a hypocrite because the light's coming on you. You better let the light shine. Let it expose your hypocrisy and your evilness and your sinfulness. gave me a revelation to preach to some of y'all. I didn't plan on preaching that to you. Look at this. Look at verse 19, John 3. This is the condemnation that light is come and, listen to, into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They prefer sin. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. They don't want to come to the, hear the word of God. They don't want to come to the glory of God and the light of God because they feel convicted. They feel condemned. They feel like hypocrites. Listen, you're going to be reproved. You're going to be corrected by the word of God when you come. Look at this, verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifested, openly revealed. That they are right in God. You better not let the devil get a hold of you and say, Well, I'm a hypocrite, so I'm going to run from the light. You do that, you'll be lost and you'll go to a devil's hell. You better say, I love the light. I'm a sinful person. I'm the biggest hypocrite, but I'm going to repent. I'm a, yeah, I'm a big hypocrite, God. I know I am. But I've come here to repent. Connectly deal with my light. Let the light shine. Let everything be seen for what it is.
because I want to be a doer of the truth. But you commit the greater sin. If you are a hypocrite and you don't come to church, you're running from the light. You love the darkness more than you love the light and you'll go to hell where the darkness is. Oh, God, go ahead and shine that light on my life. Expose every dark area of my life because I want to be a doer of the truth. I don't want to turn my back on you and be lost. I want to be saved, God. See, people don't realize the stupid decisions they're making in their life. Say, I can't go to church because I feel like a hypocrite. If you don't go to church, you're going to be lost. But it it sounds admirable, does it not? To be able to say, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm not going to church. There's nothing admirable about that. I said, there's absolutely nothing admirable about that. God says, repent. You think you stand before God on judgment day and say, God, but I didn't want to be a hypocrite. It's going to make any difference between your eternal destiny. Absolutely not. God said, well, you have an opportunity to hear the truth and the light. If you come to church and repent, you could have been saved. But the devil's lying to people because they want this world. They love this world. They love darkness. They love sin. That's why they don't come to the light. That's why they don't come to the light. They want to come to church and be feel, feel good all the time. And go to hell feeling good. I don't want to go to hell feeling good. I want to go to hell living holy, living right, and hearing the truth of God's word that's going to get me there. Say amen. So we see then God provides a way. You're not going to be able to stand for him and say someday, well, God, you know, as a hypocrite, he said, well, I provided a way. Look. Verse 24, the altar of earth thou shalt make unto me. Say unto me. It's unto God. It's a divine appointment. It's not a man-made appointment. It's divine appointment. God gave that appointment. So you say, well, I'm not feeling too good right now, preacher. I'll tell you what you do. Get your sin under the blood of Jesus. Because I want you to understand what I'm talking about here. You need a sacrifice. Because His light, His Word, He is so holy. Listen, you walk in that light, you'll die. You'll perish. You need a sacrifice. I don't feel too good right now. Listen, you know why? Because when God comes down, His Spirit comes down like on a mountain and He burns it up with fire. When He comes down in this assembly, you know how He comes down? He comes down in wrath. He comes down in judgment. But when he hits the blood of the altar, when he hits the blood of Jesus, it turns from the, from, it changes from wrath to love. So if you're feeling kind of condemned right now, it's because the Spirit of God comes down and it always comes down in wrath. So repent of your sin. And it'll be turned into a mercy seat. And you'll experience the love of God that you're looking for. But you've got to get it under the blood. Amen. You see this. I'm telling you what. God has has spoken already. Notice. You're going to bring your sheep. You're going to bring your oxen to all places where I record my name. 
I will come unto thee. I will bless thee. Say, bless thee. Thou wilt make me an altar of stone. Thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Amen. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. He said, whenever you approach me, he said, make sure your ankles are covered. So you can't build it with steps because if you build it with steps, when you lift up your leg to take a step, your ankles are going to be going to be uncovered. But he's trying to show them this isn't an appointment of man. It's an appointment of God. So I don't want any flesh showing here. I don't want anything of man showing here. I want it to be seen that it's of me. It's of God. Jesus, shake our church today. Let your spirit move among us this morning, God. Touch our lives this morning. He's an awesome God. Now look, chapter 21. We have the next, the third great term of this law. is the civil law. Chapter 21 through 23 is the civil law. You see this. Before he ever gets the tables of stone, he's given this orally to the people. Are you here? Lord God. See, God knows what they need. He's trying to show them what they need. Have you recognized what you need? A Savior. Oh, you're going to be there on your own good works? You're a million miles away, man. You get saved, then you'll do good works. Then you'll live holy. But you don't get saved by doing good works. You don't pick up the law and say, Thou shalt not kill. Well, I didn't kill, so I'm going to heaven. Come on, wake up. No wonder they stood afar off. They understood it. Okay, civil law is given also 21 through 23. We also have about three feasts or so that are given in there along with the Sabbath day. Say the Sabbath. It's also given at this time. All right? Y'all with me? Okay, hallelujah. Okay, y'all with me at this point. Let me kind of rehearse. He proposed the covenant. They agreed to the covenant. They prepared for the covenant. Moses brings down the oral law, speaks the oral law to them, the three great terms, the moral law, the altar law, and the civil law. That's where we are. Are you here? Okay. He hadn't even got the tables yet. Isn't God good? Oh, hallelujah. Say the oral law. Okay, let's look at verse 20 of, uh, let me see, where are we at? Where are we at here? No. We're there, aren't we? We're there, aren't we? Hallelujah. We're there. Okay, let's go to chapter 24. That's good. He delivered it orally to them, right? All the correct terms are there. Mm. Say chapter 24. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord. Fifth time he's gone up that I've seen, that I've counted. I'm not a very good counter, so check me out, okay? Fifth time he's gone up. Oh. Isn't God good? And Aaron made by you in the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. Most alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. 
Moses came and told the people, you understand what God's doing here? He's moving, he's using Moses as a mediator. Jesus is the mediator of the covenant. When Moses goes up into that awesome glory cloud of God, the people are standing afar off. You know what? God wants to take them with Moses in the glory cloud. That's what the tabernacle's all about. But he's showing them how to get there. And they're standing back and they're saying, boy, I wish I could be like Moses. I said, I'm going to show you how to get there like Moses. Man, I wish I could walk up in the presence of God like that, in the glory of God like that. I wish I could. Hallelujah, being fellowship with him. Isn't God good? Okay, so he goes up. Bible says in chapter 24, fifth time. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. We can do it all. We can keep every bit of it. They're just talking good. I say, they're just talking good. They got a little bit of pride in them. They think they can do it. No, they can't do it. They're just talking a good talk. They're talking good. We got people who really can talk, can't they? You with me? Glory to God. Say all these things. That means they thought they could even keep the moral law. Without, you can't be righteous if you don't have righteousness imputed to you. You can't live righteous if you're not righteous. Uh, so, see, okay. Say amen. Now, what are we going to do here now? God's going to, well, verse 4, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar. Now, who right Now, Moses writes the words that he orally gave them. He writes it in a book. Okay. Build an altar up under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Amen? Go to verse 9. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Then when Moses went, then, say then. After when? After he wrote the words in the book that he just spoke to them orally, and then he ratified it by blood, sprinkled blood. Say blood. You with me? You want to want the verse? Verse 5, let's get it. He sent young men to the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings, say sin offering, and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Right there. And Moses took half the blood, put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient. Well, listen, when he goes up to get the law from, the, from God's writing it, they already break it what I'm trying to tell you. They're saying, we'll do it. We'll do it. Well, we'll see if they will do it. All right. The Bible says, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant. Say, the blood of the covenant. I hope you see it. which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now, what's going to happen next? 
Well, the covenant's ratified there by blood. Now they're going to have a covenant meal. So God says, hey, Moses, come on up here with 70 elders of Israel. We're going to eat together. If I was one of those people in the camp of Israel, I said, I sure wish I was one of them. Go sit down at a table with the Lord. Uh, of course, there were some brethren and some sisters there that could care less anyway. Amen. What they doing? They're going to eat lunch with God. Oh, cool. I'll go over here and commit adultery. They're over here having lunch with God. A big deal. We live in a church world that's just like that, man. They could care less about God. They want to be saved, but they could care less about God. I didn't, I didn't, I, listen, you came here. I didn't come to tickle your ears this morning. I came to tell you the truth. Amen. You with me? Look at verse 9. It says, Aaron, Nadab, Bihu, the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Ooh, that's awesome. Now, how do they see this omnipresent, eternal, invisible spirit of God? They saw a manifestation of him. You with me? Look, see, they saw God. There were, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. Now, I tell you what, I don't get an opportunity too often to hear this man speak, but a man by the name of Sam Peake, and I don't agree with everything that he says, but he, he brought some awesome truth out not too long ago. He said the tables of stone were made out of sapphire. Is that right? And it wasn't just, you know, flat stone tables. It was, help me here, hexagon in shape. Like crystal. The way I understood it is like the finger of God and the glory of God inscribed that law within it. So you could see it on every side. Is that correct? You could see it. He, went, he what? Help me. Like a laser. All right. Now it tells us the pavement that God is walking on is like sapphire. And some of you wonder why we get excited. I'll tell you why we don't get excited, why we do get excited. It's because we don't have religion. We've met the God of Israel. Amen. See, I have in my mind this idea that he brought down two, you know, rocks like we have out West Texas here. You know, we've we seen uh, that, mo that, that movie called what? The Ten Commandments, you know. <laughs> That's what they look like. Well, I'm finding that different, man. <laughs> Beautiful things. Sam Peak said whenever Moses threw the thing down and broke it, after they broke the law, he said Moses got wealthy because he got to keep the fragments. God allowed him to keep the fragments of the sapphire, so he became wealthy. He didn't carve it out of, you know, rock, a West Texas rock. That sounds like my God.
So you want to go just have a happy, happy, you know, religious experience in a church somewhere. Well, you go, I'm going to tell you something. Go find yourself another church. Because we've come into this place to fellowship with God. And we know how awesome He is. We didn't come here to get more religious. We came here to know Jesus. And we don't know, we don't want anybody holding back the glory, man. We don't want anybody holding back the glory. We want you to come in the glory cloud. We want you to see the Lord. But, but pastor, you don't know. I'm just kind of quiet and reserved. Well, so am I. I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm as I'm bashful as I can be. I have to pray. Yes, Sister Benita says, yes, we know that. I have to pray through before I ever get in the pulpit every time I preach. Don't give me this. Well, that's just the way I am, preacher. No, you get God in your life. So y'all still with me now at this point? Okay, they're going to have a covenant meal, right? Okay, verse 11. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount. Oh, he's going to go again. Six times that I've counted. Hallelujah. And the Lord said to him, Come up to me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone. Say, tables of stone. That's not all he got. He also received an A law, singular A law. What is that? The sign of the covenant, the Sabbath. Uh oh, some of y'all starting to really think now. You hear? And then what else did he say? He said, I'll give you and commandments. Uh -huh. well, I just read to you what the commands were that I, he's talking about there. That's the tabernacle and the priesthood and the feast. So he's going to give him the moral law, the two tables of stone. He's going to give him a law, the sign of that law, the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a sign of the Old Testament covenant of law. Which is bigger than just the seventh day Sabbath. It has to do with, you with me? Every seven years, the seventh year is a Sabbath. You let the land rest, you close your business down and go to Israel. And then seven times 70, there's another one. It's called Jubilee, the 50th year. That's also a Sabbath of the Lord. Are you here? So all these people, I'm keeping the Sabbath day. First of all, you're not offering a sacrifice. Well, that's fulfilled in Jesus. Well, so is the Sabbath. He is my rest. 
Now, let me help you with this. Jeremiah 31 tells us there's going to be another covenant. It's not going to be like the covenant that God gave with them when they came out of Egypt. It's going to be a new covenant based on new terms. It's called the new covenant or the blood covenant. And Galatians gives you the contrast between the old covenant I'm reading to you right now about and the new covenant which I'm in right now. Romans does the same and Hebrews does the same. So who, people who claim to keep the Sabbath today are really, really not keeping the Sabbath when they keep the literal day. You know who's really keeping the Sabbath? Those who have been filled with the Spirit of the living God are those who are really keeping the rest of God. Because most of the ones that claim to be keeping the literal Sabbath Every seven years, I don't see them close their business down and go to Jerusalem for the year. Why don't, oh, come on, come on, come on. If you're going to keep it, you got to keep the whole thing, friends. Well, I'm not going to preach to you on the Sabbath day, but anyway. The true keepers are the ones who are filled with the rest of God. The rest of God, Isaiah 28 and 11 tells us, is the Spirit of the Lord. Say amen. Now, I know I lost half of you, but that's okay. You've only been here a few times. You're going to be a theologian overnight? Amen? Isn't God good? You go to Jeremiah 31, you'll, you'll see what I just told you. Okay? Isn't God good? Okay, so where are we now? Well, we read that he's going to give him two tables of stone. He's going to give him a law. The sign of this covenant is the Sabbath and commandments which have to do with the tabernacle and the priesthood. Say this right here. Now, the Bible tells me that when he receives it, if you'll go over to verse 18, Moses went into the midst of the cloud and get him up in the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. First time I read about him going up there and being there 40 days and 40 nights. And this is the sixth time I read about him going up. Are you here with me so far? Maybe more. Now, so he gets this thing. What does he get? Look at the next verse. And the Lord spake unto Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth a willing with his heart. Ye shall make my offering. Keep on going down to verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary. So right there, we were, he's receiving the tabernacle, the plan of the tabernacle, not just the ten commandments but the tabernacle plan and the priesthood while he's up there in the mount for 40 days and 40 nights you hear boy I tell you this I tell you God is just beautiful okay well he's all he's say he's up there and you keep on reading and you read about the tabernacle plan and everything that it, all the furniture that's going to be in the tabernacle plan. And if i got about 15 minutes, I'll show you what was there before I explain the meaning of it. Are you here? Say you're still up there. Keep turning your pages in your Bible. Keep on turning them. Keep on turning them. All the way through 31, he talks about the incense. He talks about the tabernacle. He talks about the furniture, 25 through 32. Are you here? Right? 
Then he talks about the Sabbath, a sign. That's. And then he talks about what? Verse 18, the two tables of testimony. So we have rightly divided the Word of God and we've told you that what was the two tables of stone? Come on, it's the moral law of God. What was the, the A law? It was a Sabbath day sign. What was the commands? It was the tabernacle, priesthood, offerings, and incense. Do you see that? Do you see it? 25, 30, up to 32, through 31, we have the tabernacle. That's the commands. Then we have verse 12, chapter 31, the law, the A law, the Sabbath. And then we have the two tables of stone. That's exactly what God said he was going to give who? Moses in verse 12 of chapter 24. And that's what he got when he was up there the sixth time, 40 days and 40 nights. And he, I don't read there where he fasted. He may have fasted, but it doesn't say he fasted this time. Amen. Amen. So I'm having a good time. Because I'm not giving you pablum. I'm not giving you baby milk. I'm not giving you formula. I'm giving you some meat. Okay. Now look, he gets... Now who wrote it this time? Well, he received it orally. The, he spoke it orally. He wrote it in a book. Moses wrote it in a book. Now God's writing it. Now, so he's been up in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, right? Joshua, sitting there, and we covered this Wednesday night. He's sitting there waiting patiently for his master. We believe, I believe he's coming back, God. I don't know when. I don't, you know, Moses, he's a little different anyway, God. Isn't Everybody else thinks he's dead. But Joshua says, I'm going to hang in here, man. Moses, will you please come back? You got to have that if you're going to be something for God. So anyway, Moses finally comes down to the mountain. He's carrying these stones, right? Beautiful sapphire things. What I recently understood. You know, hallelujah. I mean, you know. So anyway, carrying these things down. He gets down there with Joshua. Joshua says, "Hey, you know what? I hear something. Doesn't sound like they're in war, and it doesn't sound like they're getting defeated in war. It sounds like they're having a party, Moses." Well, God had already told Moses, there's stiff-necked people go down. Are you with me? God already knew what was happening. And he'd already told Moses what was going on. They were dancing naked before false gods. And they had already broken the primary uh, uh, t commandment. Thou shalt worship the Lord. And him alone shalt thou worship. Before he ever even gets out of the mountain with the tables of stone, they've already broken the law. And they said, well, this we will do. We'll do everything that God said before they even got down there with the, the one written by God. Not the one orally spoken, the one written by Moses, but the one that was written by God. Before he ever brings it down there to him, they've already broken it. Are you here? You going to get there by your good works? Okay, then we'll see what happens then. Y'all want to see what happens? Are y'all still interested? 
Let me show you it. God knew it. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Look at verse 13. Now, here goes old Moses. He starts praying. He starts fulfilling the role of the mediator. He starts interceding for these people. Oh, God. You know what? God could have killed them right there. But for what? For one reason he didn't kill him, and I shared it with you last week. The covenant with a dead man. A covenant with a dead man by the name of Abraham. I will save him alive. So you know what Moses does? He prays to God based on the covenant of Abraham, a covenant that God made with a man who's in a grave right now. And God said, well, I remember the covenant that I made with Abraham, so I can't kill him. He is awesome. He's a covenant-keeping God. Well, some of y'all looking at it for it, for it, for it. So let me help you. Verse 13. Here goes Moses. He's praying. Remember who? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that covenant God? This covenant law hasn't set that covenant aside. Remember that covenant, God? And Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self. See, if you you were asleep the last few weeks, you're not going to understand this today. We've been giving it to you, man. We've been laying the foundations. We've been building on it. You with me? What was the two things the covenant of Abraham was resting on? The Word of God. Say the Word of God. And a covenant. It's impossible for God to lie. He established it by two unchanging truths. His Word and His covenant. So Moses says, God, remember the covenant with Abraham. You cannot lie, God. You've worked up to this point, God. You took a man who couldn't give birth to children. You took a woman who couldn't have children and put your seed in them. And when you put your seed, who is Christ, in them... I wish you could see this. You produced Isaac. Supernatural spiritual children based on the covenant of Abraham, not law. Are you here? So he's praying, right? He's praying based on the covenant of Abraham. He said, You swore by your own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the sand, as the stars, say the stars of heaven. Well, while you're just sitting there, I think I'll just tie my shoes. I'm not going to lose you. I'm not going to lose you. You'll catch up with me. You're not moving so fast that you can't catch up with me. I know I'm a smart aleck, but I get sick and tired of lukewarmness. I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. There's going to be a heavenly people. Abraham, lift up your eyes. That's the church of the living God. (laughs) 
saying, All this land that I have spoken of, I will give it unto your seed, and to, and they shall inherit forever. And the Lord repented, changed his mind of the evil which he thought to do unto this people. <laughs> oh, man. He's awesome. He's awesome. See, God was going to kill him. But because of a promise he made to Abraham, who was dead at that time, he said, I can't. The reason why I'm not dead is because I'm in covenant with God through, through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, I want to make all of you feel real good. Every one of you, need to, you don't deserve to die right where you sit. I need to die right where I stand. But because of a covenant, God provided a sacrifice. The law condemned me, but the tabernacle reconciled me. And who's the tabernacle? John 1, 14 said, God among us was who? Jesus Christ dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. So that this tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ. God in flesh. Not the second person, but the only one God of the Bible coming in human form. But Ephesians 2 tells us that it's also a picture of the church. It's that we are a habitation of God through the Spirit. So it has a dual picture. Okay. Praise God. Isn't God good? Now, I will tell you this. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can get the tape. You'll understand a little bit more about the covenant with Abraham. Okay, verse 19. Okay. came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot. He cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. They broke it before he ever got it to him. And he now takes it and he breaks it. He took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink it. Why did he do that? He broke the covenant because they had broken it. But then he grinds this golden calf, puts it over the water, and he makes all of them drink it. And then he kills 3,000. You see the picture? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. So this new covenant brought salvation. The old covenant condemned and brought judgment. And whereas 3,000 died on that day, 3,000 were saved on Pentecost. This, is, this happened on the 50th day. And Pentecost happened on the 50th day. You got to see two things. The law condemned, but the tabernacle saved. Jesus, you're awesome. Okay, so he breaks, the law's broken, shatters it, takes the gold calf, grinds it up, makes him drink it, and kills 3,000 people. Well, here's the awesome thing. Hallelujah. I can't even tell you how many years ago I heard this. There's some guy, a real smart guy. I don't know if he's a scientist or what, you know, but anyway. He was talking about when you grind up gold into powder and you put it in water. You know what happens to it? It turns red. 
color. God said, you broke my law. So now grind that calf up, put it in water, and you're going to see the blood atonement. I got that up. I'm getting chills all over my body right now. The law condemned them, but the blood atoned for them. God <clears throat> okay well now what are we going to do you keep on reading chapter 33 the Bible tells us in verse 7 that Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it out without the camp afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of congregation came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp now listen because they broke the law God had to move outside of the camp because of their sin so God becomes an outsider to you because of your sin. This tabernacle is not the tabernacle that we're talking about right there. This was a temporary tabernacle that was set up before that tabernacle. And they had to take the temporary one and put it outside of the camp. Give God praise. Isn't he so awesome? He's awesome. Okay, so what's God going to do? Just keep on reading. He's going to show Moses his glory. And what is his glory? His goodness. Oh, my, my, my. Are you here? I don't have time to preach it all to you. Go down to verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He said, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Are you here? Say, Jesus. The Bible says, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He said, thou canst not see my face. <laughs> You can't see my face here, but when in the New Testament, new better covenant comes, you're going to be, a look, be able to look upon my face. In the face of Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. Where have you seen the glory of God? In the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, now hang, hang in. He said... And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me. And leaving the Lord said, Behold, there is a place, say a place, by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. <laughs> Who's the rock? And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock. Well, what's the cliff of the rock? and nail scarred hands it's the open side of Jesus Christ he said I'm going to put you in the cliff of the rock I'm going to hide you in my atonement all of these are pictures types and shadows of that which is to come you with me okay he said this hand look I'm going to put you in the cliff of the rock I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by (laughs) 
See, I told you in the Old Testament, God passed by at times. But now He dwells in us. He said, I'm going to pass by. I will take away my hand. Thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shalt thou shall not be seen. You're going to have to look to the future. I'm going to keep moving, Moses. you got to keep looking to the future. You'll see my back parts. That's Calvary. He looked to Calvary. We look back to Calvary, but Moses looked to Calvary. You see that? Okay. See, God knows what He's doing. He's trying to show you you need Him and you need the place. And He is the place. He is the tabernacle. Okay. Well, how it is. Okay. You with me? All right. Let's keep on going to verse 34, chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first table which thou breakest. Now, this is at least, at least a minimum of the seventh time that he's gone up. He gets in the second time. Hallelujah. You with me? Verse 2, and be ready in the morning and come up in the morning into the Mount Sinai and the presence of thyself there to me in the top of the mounts. Glory to God. What does he do when he gets there? He restates all that covenant once again. Amen. He restates the sign of the covenant, the Sabbath. He gives him the feast, some feast. Amen. Verse 28. He was there with the Lord how many, how long? Forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So here it says specifically he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And he brought down the second set. Are you here? And it's that set he's going to put in the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to be in the tabernacle under the mercy seat where the blood's going to be sprinkled. Is everybody okay? You all right? So he restates the law, and by the time you get to the end of the book of Exodus, you have the tabernacle pitched by Moses. So that's just, that's, we haven't even got to the tabernacle yet. I think just, just seeing how he got the tabernacle, it blesses my heart. And I haven't even showed, we haven't even studied what the tabernacle means. Oh, hallelujah. I'm betwixt between two. <laughs> Should I go on and show you what was there? Or shall I wait till next week? How many, how many tired people I got here? <laughs> huh. Y'all want to know what was there? What Moses pitched? If your roll burns, it burns. You shouldn't be putting that kind of stuff in the stove before you come to church anyway. I hear sirens. Oh my, I just want to do it so bad, but you know, I don't know. I want to do it justice, but... Let's, let's, we'll look, we'll look briefly, okay? See that tabernacle right there? Everybody can see that? I know I'm going to be in the way. No matter where I go, I'll be in the way. So I'm going to try to stand right here, okay? You'll see the tabernacle? You see this outer enclosure? I'm going to show you what's there. The tabernacle, the structure of the tabernacle was on the inside of a fence. Are you here? 
This fence was 150 feet long on the northern side and the southern side. The tabernacle faced toward the east. Always faced toward the east. 75 feet across east, uh, the eastern western side. 150 along the northern southern side. Amen? First, holding up the fence. This fence was made of fine linen. Very fine linen, white and pure. All sewn together, making one piece from one end of the gate to the other end of the gate coming around. Seven and a half feet high tall. It was held by a silver rod, curtain rod at the top. Each one of those pillars you see right there had a silver cap upon the top of it. It had a brass plate that the, the pillar, two tenons, two fingers, went into this brass plate. The brass plate touched the sand of the desert. Are you here? So the pillars are standing there, all right? Each one of those pillars, 60 pillars there, a cord went to the top of that silver cap, and there was a hook at the silver top of the silver cap. They tied a cord to the top of that, took it down into the desert floor upon a copper stake. I'm just telling you what was there to hold them up in position, right? There it is. Beautiful picture, right? In the front, on the eastern side, there's a beautiful gate, 30 feet wide. Different from the linens that were hanging around from gate to gate, the white linen. This gate was made up of colors. It was purple, scarlet, blue, and also white. Beautiful gate as you approached it. Held up by four pillars. Amen? You walk into this gate. First thing you see is the brass altar, right? There it is. There's that pillar I told you about. Brass footing. Silver top. Okay, let me back up. Okay, there's that brass altar. And look, they did just what God told them to do. They built a ramp coming up to it with no steps on it so no flesh could be seen, just like God told them to do it. Now, this altar that they went to, this brass altar, was made out of acacia wood or shadow wood. Amen? Very gnarled, very twisted type of wood. It is almost imperishable. It is so hard, insects can't even penetrate the heart of it. It is sometimes called everlasting wood. It was overlaid with sheets of brass or bronze or copper. Had stays running through the tops of it and in each corner... There was a horn on the top of it that they would tie the sacrifices so the sacrifices would not slide off of that altar. They tied them down. Amen. Underneath there, there was a grate that would catch the ashes. This is all important to you. The fire never went out on that altar. It burned day and night. Okay, well, hallelujah. Let me just use this picture. This will work. This altar was halfway between the gate and the tabernacle itself, right in the middle of the two. When you move from that, you move to this beautiful brass laver where they kept water. We don't know how large it was. That's significant. We don't know how big it was. They kept it full of water so they could wash the sacrifices and also so the priests could wash their bodies. Amen? Priests washed their bodies one time. They pitched a little tent in front of that right there and they washed their whole bodies from the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet. That's baptism. And then every day thereafter, they would wash their hands. That's the Word of God. You've got to have the Word of God every day in your life. See, I'm not going to try to teach you what it means, but I want to teach you a little bit. 
Say the labor. The labor is halfway between the altar and the tabernacle, right in the center there. This is what the Israelites would see as they approach this beautiful tabernacle. Amen? Okay, you see? Now we come to the tabernacle door itself. It's got these huge pillars here. These pillars are set in brass. You can't really see it, but it's brass. Amen? It's got gold at the top. It's got gold curtain rods going across it with this beautiful, beautiful fine linen gate embroidered with all these beautiful colors that are on this gate also. Amen? Two compartments in the tabernacle itself. This right here, this is called the outer enclosure. All this outside area, this uh, one compartment right here is called the holy place. This is called or the inner closure or the holy place. And back behind it was where God's presence was, the radiance of God, the glory of God. That glory cloud went up from above it. That is called the holy of holies. Amen? Are you all with me up to this point? Right here, in the, right there in the center, or not exactly the center, but dividing these two compartments, there was some other pillars. They weren't set in brass like these. They were set in silver. They had a gold curtain rod that held this big old heavy veil. And behind the heavy veil was the ark or the presence of God. Amen? Are you here? Say amen. Okay. For the covering of the tabernacles, the coverings themselves, you had, I think what I'll do is I'll start from the ceiling up. You walked in, if you were an Israelite or the priest, because only the priest could go in there. You walked into that tabernacle, you lifted up your heads, and you saw a beautiful, fine linen ceiling. And upon that fine linen ceiling, there were cherubim, or cherubim, however you want to pronounce it, the cherub. There they are, engraved, embroidered upon this beautiful curtain inside the tabernacle. And then just above that, there is what is called the goat's hair. I believe the goat's hair was black in color. These when we look at these pictures here, they will show it to be white in color. I believe it to be black over the curtain. Amen? Then above that, there is the, the ram skins dyed red. And then above that, on the outside, there is what is called, in the King James Version, the badger skin. Also sometimes called the porpoise skin by some translators. And some translators translate the Hebrew word deer. Deer, all right? Deer skin. That's, so you got four layers here. Beautiful. Let me show you a few pictures here. There they are working, bringing their sacrifices to the altar. There's one of those uh, outer enclosure pillars. You can see the rods securing them, holding them upright. With the rods driven or the stakes driven into the sand. There's that fire right there burning on that altar. Again, sacrificial offerings taking place there. Look at all these priests working around this. Say priest. There's that altar, brass altar I told you with the grate in the middle. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's the grate separate from it. There's that overlay of those brass that's over the acacia wood, the shadam wood, or the everlasting wood. There's that labor I was telling you about. Nobody knows how big it was because the Bible doesn't tell us how big it was. There's a reason for that. God's so good. All right, again, they washed the sacrifices and they washed themselves there at this labor. 
I doubt that it really looked like that, but anyway, you know. There's some utensils they use around the altar, the forks to move, position the sacrifices, along with the ash pans, etc. Also the blood basins that they could catch blood and etc. and pour it at the foot of the altar. Here's those coverings I was telling you about. There's that beautiful curtain underneath. Then above that, that's a white, shows white goat's hair. I believe it was black goat's hair. Above that's the ram skins dyed red. And then the porpoise, the deer skin or the badger skin on the outside. Pretty ugly when you looked at it on the outside. Okay. Beautiful though, isn't it? Expensive. There it is, set up. There's those pillars. You can see a little better, those brass foots on this. Uh, and these are, notice they're crowned at the top up here, but this is gold and brass footings at the, I'm talking about the gate itself of the tabernacle itself. You see there? There's the ram skins dyed red. There's the goat's hair. Black, oh, I'm not going to tell you right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, it's all looped together, held together. I'll tell you, sister, I promise. <laughs> See, if I tell you everything right now, you won't come back next week. <clears throat> See, it's all fastened together. I'll explain all these fasteners, what they mean. Look at that beautiful, beautiful embroidered curtain. Cherubim. There it is up close. Oh, hallelujah. That's what you see when you walk in the tabernacle. There they are ministering. This to be the priests. They ministered in the holy place itself there. Oh, it's beautiful. This is just all, this is ABC pictures of what God has for us. What he, what he did in himself and what he has for us. I mean, I'm trying to tell you, we live in a better day than this. No wonder we get excited when we come to church. Well, there's the priest ministering there. Uh, just in front of the veil itself, the priest there ministering at this altar of incense. This altar of incense was so sacred that at times it was called, uh, it was said to be on the other side of the veil when it was never on the other side of the veil, which I mean, it was never directly in front of the Ark of the Covenant. It was on this side of the veil outside of the Ark of the Covenant, but it was so sacred that it sometimes made reference to it as being in, on the other side of the veil. Oh, it's sacred. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Let me see if I can look at anything here and show you. You see this in the tabernacle itself holding the veil. You see the difference between the pillars in the front door of the tabernacle set in bronze plates. Those in the back are set in silver plates. Can y'all see that? Everybody see that all right? I don't mind if you move, if you can't see. You can move. That would be the, uh, the door of the tabernacle itself. Here's those beautiful pillars. These, would, these have to be the ones in the front, though, holding up the tabernacle door because there's, they're crowned, and it looks like silver, but they're actually brass. There's a difference here. They're crowned, but they're not in the back part. And then we see this breakdown here. We have this the, the acacia wood, the shittim wood, with the brass footing there, the brass plate, the tenons would be you know, like fingers sticking into it. And then we have this overlay of solid, of this gold. It's, oh, it's beautiful. 
And then the top, there's the crown. Okay, there's a picture of the tabernacle structure itself without the coverings, without the four coverings. Notice there are four rods that are on the outside of the tabernacle running through. All of them are solid gold. Uh, they're not solid gold. They're covered. They're acacia wood covered in gold. And they run through the outside of the four of them. There's one that runs in the center of you. You have a total of five. We'll explain that to you. But isn't that beautiful? All of them sitting on silver, except the front pillar sitting on brass. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There they are, close up. Close up picture of these pillars. <laughs> oh, man. See, that's awesome for me just to see that there. And then to know what it means just makes me, makes me laugh. With the laughter of Isaac. And there we see that. I told you that one that runs into the center. There it is. Look at that priest. Boy, he's a midget almost compared to those. You see these? These are the breakdowns. This is the case you would again with the overlay of gold and the silver. This would be the, uh, what holds the bell. <clears throat> There's the two compartments. The holy place and then this back part. Here would have been the Holy of Holies with a cherubim or embroidered. Okay, you walk into that holy place right there and you've got the piece of furniture that are in the holy place. You have got, uh, as I walk into it and as I look, there is that golden candlestick. Then there's the table of showbread over here. This golden candlestick that you see right here, nobody knows exactly how big it is. Traditionally, it's believed to have been five foot high, about three foot wide. So it's, it wasn't a little bitty old thing. It was pretty big. Is a lampstand, not a candlestick. Filled with oil. Solid gold, 66 pieces. All of it a picture. Okay? Beautiful. It's beaten work. Hammered out. Over here, the table of showbread. Also called the bread of presence. Or the, it, it represents the face of God. The presence of God. The face of God. Pierced. No. Pierced. Every one of them were pierced. And... Looks like we got uh, some wine over here. That's, that's a picture also. On the top of this table of showbread right here, we have a crown that holds this so it doesn't fall off. The priests lived off of this. They also prepared it and they lived off of it. And this is the, considered the table of the Lord I commune with. Okay, up here again, this altar of incense where they offered the incense unto God. A very holy thing right before the veil here. There you go. You see it better there? See those gold curtain rods holding those? Get that gate and that veil up. There's the utensils. Um, blood utensils. There's the, the vial for the wine. Not fermented. <laughs> Have to say that. Well, I go, hey, they had wine in the tabernacle. I'd go drink. You can drink the Holy Ghost. Look at how pretty that thing is. This was, this part, top part right here, this crown made out of solid gold. I believe the rest of it was uh, overlaid acacia. There's that. Now that's solid gold right there. Expensive. Look at that. Altar of incense. 
There's the veil again. Up close look, the veil. <clears throat> there we have the pillars. These hold the veil up. You see those gold circles at the top where the gold curtain rods would be. You see the breakdown of the acacia wood, silver. Overlay we go. See all that inside the tabernacle is gold. Outside of it is brass. Brass labor, brass altar. And then there's the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat upon it with these beautiful cherubim facing down, no doubt, upon the mercy seat there. This is where God's throne is. This is His throne. When the Israelites, when the high priest walked in there and they knew that Shekinah glory cloud, they, that thing went up, way up. It could be seen for miles. This is where God resided, right here. This was His throne. When they, look, when they saw that pillar, the Israelite had in their mind, He's, there's my king. There's my king. Here's my king. Here's His throne. There's my king. In this Ark of the Covenant, they took the table of stone that was given to Moses, put that in there. You know what? They said, there's my king, but there's the law that judges me. My king judges me. Also in this Ark of the Covenant, they took the original law that Moses wrote that I shared with you earlier. They put that in here along with a, a, a pot of manna. It didn't ever rot. didn't ever mildew. didn't ever you know, get bad. God preserved it. Pot of manna. And also Aaron's rod that budded that was placed in this. That was all in this Ark right here. Amen. Beautiful thing. That's in the Holy of Holies. That's where God resided. Behind the heavy veil. There's the beautiful picture of those cherubim. See, this is what was in it. Tables of stone, manna, Aaron's rod. Should be another thing over here. Moses, Moses uh, writing of his book. Amen. Praise God. Can I share something with you while I'm here at this point? It is an understood thing that when you get beyond this point in the Bible, it's understood that you already know what the tabernacle is. That you already understand what was there. You already understand what it means. If you don't, as you read the Bible, you are at a great disadvantage because they wrote it. God gave it to them with this concept. They already know about the tabernacle. Okay. But isn't it beautiful? There's that. Oh, yeah. You want to look at that? There's another up-close picture. By the way, the staves were never taken out of that Ark of the Covenant. Never moved out of there. It had to be ready for immediate transportation. They never took the staves out. There's the high priest there. Only once on the Day of Atonement was he able to go in there. I'm just trying to show you what's there. Yes. Yeah, they covered it when they moved it. That's correct. Sure did. It's a holy, sacred thing. It was God. It was their king. They recognized that uh, because the law was there, it was also a throne of judgment until the blood hit it. And the blood hit it, it became a mercy seat. And then there's the high, a picture of the high priest himself and his dress. And the people provided his, his dress. 
So I'm telling you what, man, there was a lot of investment that went into the building of the tabernacle. That was what was there. And we're going to be getting into what it means. But I'll just, I'll just uh, give you this much to chew on until I see you. Where did it all come from? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that it came from, it was given to Moses after the heavenly pattern. God showed Moses heaven. Well, if you just go to the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and chapter 5, you see this tabernacle. You see there the throne of God, king. You see him sitting there. The Bible says he looks like Sardis and Jasper. The glory cloud in the daytime, Sardis. The jasper, red color, the fire by night. It's all there in picture. In front of that throne, as you were to look at it, if you know God is sitting on the throne, in front of that, the Bible talks about in that chapter, he says there's a sea of glass. It's out in front. There's the labor. And not only that, but remember that embroidered cherubim on all of that, those curtains that are around that, on the inside, around God. Oh, there's four living creatures, Revelation chapter 4. They're called cherubim. They stand in the presence of God. They cry, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 24 hours a day. Amen? It's all there. The lamb, as though it had been slain, sacrifice. There he is. It's all there. We see him in the fifth chapter going and taking the book. From the one who sat upon the throne. This is symbolic. It's not literal. He's the one sitting on the throne. And also the one who has a right to the book. What is in the book? It's the purposes of God. And he's going to unfold the purposes of God. In the book of Revelation. That right there is a part of the purposes of God. And all this right here. This type and shadow. Is in heaven. Let's stand. Lord Jesus. I just praise you. I exalt you. I'm magnify you I pray oh God today for my heart and the heart of your people dear Lord that they would just be in awe and reverence and respect to your word and to your ways and to your purpose and to your plan I have a great reverence and a great respect for you today God and I thank you for your word that reveals the reality by shadow God today I thank you Lord for the word of God today that has gone forth today to this people to this congregation you have blessed us with your word today we exalt you we worship you we magnify you God how can we ever become complacent God how can we ever become Laodicea lukewarm God how can we ever just sit there on our laurels God oh for you have invited us you said you told us to come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain help in time of trouble God there's nothing right now in our way you made a way. And God, we have a new sacrifice. You are that sacrifice. We have new offerings. We have sacrifices of praise. Sacrifices of prayer. Sacrifices of singing. Sacrifices of worship. Let us be holy when we come into your presence, God. Don't let us just come in here any old way, God. Let us not come in here have talked. Let us come in here reverencing your holiness and your awesomeness and your greatness. In Jesus' name, thank you for your spirit today, Lord. 
I worship you. Everybody, hands lifted up and praise to the King. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Lord God. I worship you. We're not going to run from the light. We're not going to run from the word. We're going to say, God, let it shine on us. Expose us for what we are, God. That we may flee to the light. We may flee to the altar to be cleansed from our sin. We might be in fellowship with you, O God. Thank you, Jesus, for dwelling in us and among us. I want to ask you the same question that Paul asked believers. Sister, if you'll turn, let me turn. I want to ask you something today. Paul asked the Corinthian church. He said, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are what? The tabernacle. You are what I just showed you here in the tabernacle. If you've got the Spirit of God in you, know you not that your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. See, the devil don't want you to know that this morning. He don't want you to know that. He wants you to be focused on the outer enclosure, your body. Sun shines on that. He wants you to be focused on the, the soul candlelight but you can't you can't be victorious over the soul without the bread the word but I'm telling you today know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that in your spirit was the spirit of the living God I am in all that the devil doesn't want you to know that Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Which temple you are, the devil don't want you to know that. So he wants you to corrupt your body and corrupt your mind and corrupt your spirit with things that are filthy. He wants you to take God into some adulterous things. But oh, when we get a glimpse of Him, He is so great. Lord Jesus, I just thank You right now for filling me with Your Spirit. I pray for every person in this church. Everyone that has heard this message is going to be accountable to You someday, God. Every one of them. I pray that all of us, God, would have a greater reverence and a greater respect for this holy awesome God and Lord today you are proposing a covenant to so many I pray that they would agree and say yes Lord yes Lord I want to meet with you I want to be in fellowship with you hallelujah I want to rendezvous with you I want to be reunited with you I wanna I want you to hug me. I want you to hold me. I want you to love me. I wanna love you. I wanna hold you. I wanna worship you. Jesus. Praise God. Praise God.
Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We are standing on holy ground. Oh, God, we're standing on holy ground. There are angels all around us, God. Jesus. Praise God. If you'd like to come right now, if you want to move towards the Lord, I know it's getting a little late, but when you come before the presence of the Lord right now, He's here. We worship Him for His pleasure, not for our feeling, not because we're trying to create an atmosphere, but because He is holy, holy, holy. Breathe on us, O Holy Spirit. And the breath of your mighty life and presence. Jesus. 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 I worship you. I worship you. Because I see glory on each face. I see glory. Wash me with your blood, Jesus. Cleanse me, Lord, with your blood. Fill us, oh God. Fill this tabernacle. Fill this church, God, today with your spirit, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. He's a living God. He desires to commune with us. He desires to fellowship with us. He desires to dwell with us and in us. Thank you for your love, Jesus. You're so holy. We're so sinful. Thank you for the blood that washes us, God, clean. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has placed His name upon some of you. Some of you are called by His name. And from that place, from the place of your heart, He dwells. You are offering spiritual sacrifices of prayer and praise right now to the one who dwells inside you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. Praise you, Jesus. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, I pray for our church. I pray for our church, Lord, that every one of us would be spiritual mechanisms, spiritual tools in your hands, spiritual weapons in your hands, that every person, God, would seek your will and not their will. In Jesus' name. 
to the glory of God, to the glory of God, to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Jesus name, Jesus name. I worship you, Lord God, for all the truth. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, that you receive our praise and our worship and our adoration, God. Thank you, Lord. We're priests today. We're priests today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Last thing I want to tell you is what you have just done right now. You've come around here and we've gathered together and we are worshiping the one that's on the throne. Do you know that's already it's pictured in heaven? The 24 elders, they were the priests. They were all working there in the tabernacle. And the Bible said 24 elders were around the throne. Those 24 elders represent the priests. They represent you. And when you came today and you offered praise and prayer and thanksgiving to God, you are fulfilling what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. You are doing it right now. It's a picture. And that's why this is so beautiful. It's so awesome to be able to come together and love Jesus and worship Him and minister unto Him. Could you lift your hands one more time as one of the 24 elders, as one of the priests of God to offer worship for His pleasure, not for your pleasure, not because you feel like it or you don't feel like it, but because He is worthy. Lord, I'm one of those elders, Lord. I'm one of those that are around the throne, God. I'm a part of it, Lord. I'm offering spiritual praises and adoration to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, glory to your name. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. No wonder you said, God, enter your gates with thanksgiving and enter your courts with praise and bless this day. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you today. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Now, Lord Jesus, as we go from this place today, we ask God your blessing be upon us. We ask for direction tonight, for tonight's service, that your will would be done in this place. And help us to understand our position in the kingdom. Help us to understand who we are, that we are priests unto you, O God, that we are to come and bring spiritual sacrifices always into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed until tonight. Hallelujah. Amen.